Sometimes I land under the moon. Welcome to the Torah Teachers Roundtable, Apostolic Edition, with your hosts Rob Miller, Mark Patron, and yours truly, Mark Call. We hope you'll find this discussion entertaining, thought-provoking, and that above all, you'll be like the Bereans and search out the scriptures for yourself to see if these things be true. Well, good day, everyone out there. This is uh, Ray Harrison. I'm sitting in for Mark Call, who is temporarily indisposed. He'll be joining us in just a short while. When I welcome you all to the Torah Teachers Roundtable, Apostolic Edition. Uh, joining me here uh, live right now is Mark Patron from the great uh, Midwest. How are you today, Mark? I am actually doing quite wonderfully. Thank you. Great. Which is really strange for me because I can I'm, I'm actually thinking somewhat straight. <laughs> oh well, <laughs> that's that's good. I think <laughs> it's always good for us when we think. Yeah, when, straight. when you've had as many encounters with trees as I have, you have to. <laughs> yeah, and I yes, I I've 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 understood that story. That's not that's not a pleasant one. Uh, anyway, uh, just reminding our listeners, I know we uh, rebroadcast uh, or played a tape. This last week is, is members, uh, of this team were just indisposed and we couldn't, uh, we couldn't broadcast. So we thank you for hanging in there with us and, and all that. We are in the book of Isaiah, Yeshayahu, uh, and we are going to begin today's study, uh, at the top of chapter 24. Uh, and, uh, just as a little bit of a brief overview of this before, I'll do a, just a little bit of reading and then make a couple of, uh, Couple of general comments and then I'll let Mark, uh, chime in and give us some, some good meat, uh, on all this. Uh, this, uh, this section from 24 through, oh, golly, about the end of 27 winds up the last of the, uh, or it's the third in a cycle of judgments that is, uh, predicted by Isaiah, uh, on the, on the earth, on the coming, uh, world. And all that many of these, uh, these that we have heard in the last several weeks have had, uh, fulfillments that have happened historically already. Uh, some have not. Uh, some also have, uh, we read about items here in his prophecies that have not yet happened historically. So we know that those are certainly yet to come in the future. Uh, chapter 24 begins, uh, uh generally with a with a judgment here that is really a judgment on the entire earth we've gone back here in the last uh, oh several weeks and we've got, uh, uh Isaiah has gone through uh judging several uh judging Sidon judging Tyre uh judging Egypt uh, judging various different places and has specific things here this uh this last uh bit that we're going to have today will uh sounds to me and I think uh you may agree uh, uh uh answer answer for yourselves as we get through it Th- this looks like a far more universal look at at what's going on in that uh it it it, it looks to me as if we are judging in fact the whole earth so let me I read I agree with that 
Okay, great. Well, uh, uh, MP, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read down for us, oh, let's say the first three verses, that makes the first paragraph, and then I'll let you go ahead and and uh, and do some stuff after that. Uh, I'm reminding uh, listeners that I happen to be reading from the English Standard Version oh, of good. Scriptures. Uh, I know that uh, folks are reading all kinds of different versions, but that'll let you know what I'm reading from today. So from the ESV, I read uh, in chapter 24, Behold, Yehovah will empty the earth and make it desolate, and he will twist its surface and scatter its inhabitants. Verse 2, And it shall be as with the people, so with the priest. As with the slave, so with his master. As with the maid, so with her mistress. As with the buyer, so with the seller. As with the lender, so with the borrower. And as with the creditor, so with the debtor. And just a a, um, a general comment before I turn it over to MP. Uh, as we can see, this is a, a very general thing, and we see that people are being judged, uh, society is being judged the, by the religious nature of society. It's being judged, society is being judged in a domestic sense, and it's also being judged in a financial or a business sense. So really, all of society is, is coming, uh, coming under this uh, judgment at this point in time, and I'll let Mark chime in uh, with some good stuff, and then we'll move on from there. Go ahead, MP, if you're ready. All right, thank you. Yes, I am. Um, I can uh, I can comment through verse one anyway, and then we can go from two to five on the on the other side. But anyway, uh, Azamra opens with this overview of the first half of the chapter. That's two verse fourteen. Just the facts, ma'am, just the facts is what they what he what he says. Then we'll concentrate on verses one to five for now. Uh, behold, Hashem makes the land empty and makes it waste. And Rashi opens with this. This prophecy represents retribution for Israel. Since he prophesied for for them this consolation, and they are destined to see great distress before it, he therefore said to them, Not to you do I say that you will inherit it, or behold, for behold, the Holy One, blessed be he, empties you out and lays you waste. But those of you who survive until the day of redemption, they shall raise their voice and sing. This is the end of the passage, verse uh, verse 14. Uh, For them that have, I'm sorry, for and for them have I prophesied the favorable prophecy. Okay, now the word KJV translates earth is uh, the Hebrew root 776, which is aretz, generally translated as land, as in ha-aretz Israel, the land of Israel. While the word translated as empty is bakak, that's bet kuf kuf, to empty out, to lay it waste. I don't think that Yah is going to send Israel into Babylonian captivity without having someone to use the land and keep it viable for the 70 years of exile for the rich, powerful, and influential, as well as to give Israel a hard time upon its return. And actually, Babylon brought the conquered from another area to keep the land productive. The Zamra continues its commentary on verses 1 through 12, but we're only going to cover a little bit of that. 
the very terrible prophecy of devastation, exile, grief, and mourning contained in this chapter, verses 1 to 12, is considered by many of the commentators to refer to Israel, including both the ten tribes and the people of Yehuda. Thus Rashi, that's Rabbi Shlomo Yitzhaki on verse 1, states, This is a prophecy of retribution against Israel, because Yeshayahu delivered the prophecy of consolation in the closing verses of the last chapter, and in verses 14 and following of this present chapter. But prior to its uh, fulfillment, they would see great trouble. Therefore, he said to them, It is not to you that I am saying you will inherit it, because Elohim will empty you out of the land. Only those of you who will be left on the day of redemption shall raise their voice and exult. But it says later in the prophecy in verse 14, and it is to them that I delivered the good prophecy. Another option, however, proposed by Radak on verses 1 through 5, is that this prophecy refers to the earth as a whole and to the devastation that will strike the nations at the time of Israel's redemption. Rashi and Metzodas David likewise apply the applying prophecy, the uh, closing prophecies of doom, verses 17 and following, to the nations. I absolutely agree with Rodak on this one. Um, rabbi David Kimchi, a prominent rabbi of the 12th and 13th century CE. And I think that as we speak, we are entering or we are about to enter the end of days, as prophesied in both the Tanakh and the Brit HaRashah. Here's Rashi on verse 1. This prophecy represents retribution for Israel. Since he prophesied for them this consolation, and they are destined to see great distress before it, he, therefore, said to them, Not to you do I say that you will inherit it, for behold, the Holy One, blessed be he, empties you out and lays you waste. But those of you who survive until the day of redemption, they shall raise their voice and sing. This is the end of the passage, verse 14. And for them have I prophesied a favorable prophecy. Yehuda is going into a 70-year exile, but they have Yah's promise of a certain return as a people. And that's what I got on verse 1. I can jump on a little bit further if you'd like, but if you'd like to... Uh, I'm, uh, I'm going to make just a, a quick comment, Mark, uh, uh, if I can, and uh, then I'm going to bring Mark Cullen. I think he's back with us. Uh, you had mentioned that uh, that Rashi had said that he believed that the beginning of this uh, chapter was aimed at Israel. Um, I, that's not the way I read it. I, I read the, the first first part of this up through about uh, the beginning of 25 or so, uh, uh, or, or to the beginning of uh, basically all of 24, basically, as being the outside world or the Gentile world or the remaining earth and all that. And that we get brought that that uh, Israel gets brought into the matter, then with Mount Zion and all of that, and then he then we go on through twenty five, twenty six, twenty seven or so, talking about the Lord's people and what He's going to do for them and and this and that because we have uh, well then we have deliverance and hope for them, song of praise, the remnants restored, all these kind of good things and all that. Um, uh, but I was glad to hear you say that that you I think that you were if I got this right, that you were maybe not agreeing with Rashi, but agreeing with other commentators 
that perhaps yeah. this opening volley is not is not aimed at Israel itself, uh, but uh, the the world uh, at not large, specifically at Israel. Okay, but at the world in general. That that was certainly the way that I read it. Uh, yes. But uh, just just to let folks know, lots of people, lots of opinions. Just because one person says one thing doesn't make it right, and just because somebody disagrees with it doesn't mean that we're mad. It's just <laughs> just the way it, it all works. And hey, Mark Call, are you with us out there? And by the way, I could be wrong at any time. Hi. Sorry, folks, and sorry, guys. Uh, yeah, we had a um, – I have a guy that delivers hay on occasion, and uh, he was uh, planning on trying to do it this afternoon, and I thought, well, okay, he can do it by himself, and he knows where it goes and everything. But um, then about uh, 15 minutes before showtime, uh, I, I had uh, honking and everybody running down the hill and saying, oh, no, he's stuck, he's stuck, he's in the ditch. He's got a big F-450 with a 30-some-odd-foot trailer and load of hay, and uh, so I had to haul the backhoe out. And um, and get it down there, and it took longer than one would have hoped, but uh, so, so less this time is, than it could have. This was your proverbial ox in the ditch. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes, it was. <laughs> it was bigger than an ox. You're absurd. It was definitely. <laughs> an issue. Um, so anyway, sometimes it helps to have heavy equipment. So we're we're back online, and just to, to comment, I'm trying to catch up with you guys or see where you're at. But uh, um, Mark, by and large, I, I would. Be, uh, just, the we, point is that Israel is scattered. Oh, go ahead, Ray. I was just going to say we've uh, we've just read. Uh, I read uh, twenty four one two and three, the first paragraph, and that's what we were working through. So that's as far as we are right now. And I have covered. Okay, and and I I got that you were that you were saying that uh, you know did it or did it not include the outside world or coal Israel and so forth and and uh, uh, the only thing I would add and I think you might have already said this before I heard online but the uh, remember that Israel is in fact still scattered a lot of it doesn't know who it is the ten lost tribes are still lost so um, okay. in that outside world are a whole bunches of those lost tribes that's a good point absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, they, okay. are, they are still. Well, who, who do I turn it back to? Well, I think probably uh, you could maybe uh, pick it up at verse four and read the next the next paragraph's worth. Uh, and then I think uh, MP's got some more uh, material for us after that. OK, so here we go. It says um, the earth mourns and fades away. The world languishes, fades away. The haughty people of the earth languish. The earth is also defiled under its inhabitants, and that certainly sounds like something we're seeing today. We got uh, uh, geoengineering and chemtrails, and uh, you name it, it's being defiled in about uh, 100 different ways, at least, because they have transgressed the Torah, the instructions. I don't like the word laws there, but um, it's, it's more than just laws, of course, but they're breaking those too. Change the ordinance. Broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, the curse, as promised, by the way, has devoured the earth, and those who dwell in it are desolate. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and few men are left. Let's pause there, and uh, Mark, I'll go back to you since I weren't sure. I'm not sure where we were uh, as far as who was who was going when. That's all right. I had covered verse one, and I'll now cover verses two through five. Uh, to continue through verses two through five, here's a Zamra. Okay. <laughs> And it shall be as with the people, so with the priest, as with the servants, so with the master. That's in verse 2. In a secure, stable society, people show respect for worthy notables. But when a whole population is taken into exile, the captor makes no distinction between the honorable and the lowly, hurting them all together indiscriminately. 
That's according to Rashi on verse 2, and he's exactly right. Mm -hmm. Here's a direct translation of Rashi. Not like other travelers, that the master is led by his slave, and the mistress is led by her maidservant. The master is esteemed, and the slave is held in low esteem. The mistress is esteemed, and the maidservant is held in low esteem. But when the captor leads the captives, all are equal before him. In, in other words, the, the servants are at the same level as the masters, or the masters are at the same, same level as the servants. They're, they're all uh, dung as far as the, the uh, guy that are, that are leading them away. Can right. Okay, so that is true. The conqueror's army, excuse me just a second, screening the call. Okay, the conqueror's army isn't interested in the master-slave relationship, just in getting the, his orders executed at the, in the most auspicious manner. In fact, being that the escort is, at best, a junior officer, the master-slave relationship of the, of the carried-off-to-exile folk won't even be recognized by the escort. All of the exiles are inferior to the most junior private escorting them. Try to imagine how difficult it might be for a junior enlisted man on the winning side to keep uh, from beating the captive commanding officer, Prince, to a pulp as a fill-in for the enlisted man's ONC, officer in charge. The more arrogant the captive prince, uh, prince the worse treatment he would get. Azamra has this. The Talmud points out that the lack of respect for those of status had already become a feature of life in Jerusalem prior to the destruction of the temple. Rabbi Yitzhaki said, Jerusalem was only destroyed because small people and great people were equated with each other. That's according to Shabbos 119b. Today, things seem even worse. The small people like day one freshman Congress rats or uh, idiots like Heels Up Harris, have seized control while the truly great are treated like the dust of the earth. And that's because they are. Each captive to the captor is equal to every other captive, not a dime's worth of difference. The captor has the power of Yah over the captives, life or death. It's that simple. And it would only take one stupid captive master to see that point driven home, literally a tent peg through the temples, as in Judges chapter 4 and verses 15 to 21. That is Sisera and Yael. Here's what that says there. And Yah discomforted Sisera and all his chariots and all his host with the edge of the sword before Barak, so that Sisera lighted down off his chariot and fled away on his feet. But Barak pursued after the chariots and after the host unto Harashet of the Gentiles. And all the host of Sisera fell upon the edge of the sword, and there was not a man left. Howbeit Sisera fled away on his feet to the tent of Yael, the wife of Haber, the Kenite. For there was peace between Yavin and the king of Hazor and the house of Heber the Kenite. And Yael went out to meet Sisera, and said unto him, Turn in, my lord, turn in to me, fear not. And when he had turned in unto her unto the, into the tent, she covered him with a mantle. And he said unto her, Give me, I pray thee, a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. And she opened a bottle of milk, and gave him drink, and covered him. 
Again, he said unto her, Stand in the door of the tent, and it shall be, when any man doth come and inquire of thee, and say, Is there any man here? Thou shalt say, No. Then Yael, Haber's wife, took a nail of the tent, and took an hammer in her hand, and went slowly unto him, softly unto him, rather, and smote the nail into his temples, and fastened it into the ground, for he was fast asleep and weary. So he died. No kidding. I guess that Cicero really needed a few hours shut-off. Well, he got them all right. <laughs> Every other former master would learn that lesson and that right quick. Here's a Zamra on verse 5. The earth also is defiled, that is, Hanfa, habitually, under its inhabitants, verse 5. The root here, translated as defiled, means to flatter and or hypocritically. Okay, the, <laughs> the earth is said to act hypocritically when it produces weeds in empty pods instead of edible crops. This prophecy applies that when, or implies rather, that when Israel and the uh, nations defy Torah, it generates an ecological catastrophe causing freak crops. And often, the beautiful looking produce on the supermarket shelf also turns out to be tasteless and nutrient deficient. Another example of hypocrisy. Looks good, has no lasting value, like Taylor Swift, in my opinion. Etymological <laughs> Dictionary Biblical Hebrew has to deceive or dissemble, which means uh, to give a false or misleading appearance, a la Sisera and Yael. That reads a lot like this quote from Azamra to finish its commentary on verse 5. For they have transgressed Torahs, note the plural. Yes. They have transgressed Torahs. There's, that's not an apostrophe. There, there are more than yeah, one Torah. Torot. They're saying. They have changed is the plural. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, they have broken the eternal covenant in verse 5. If this prophecy refers to Israel, it is referring to the transgression of the two Torahs, the written and the oral, according to Metzadas David. Mm. If it refers to the nations of the world, it refers to their persecution of Israel in excess of what God create, uh, decreed, thereby violating the covenant of brotherhood that should have existed between Esau, Ammon, Moab, and Ishmael, and their close relative Israel. That's Radak on verse 5, and Amos 1.10. Now, Stones Tanakh has a good comment in verse 5, with which I will close for questions and comments. Because the people had been unfaithful to Elohim, the land will act in kind. It will not bring forth produce when they cultivate it. Okay? So that's the whole point. You weren't faithful to Yah, the earth isn't going to be faithful to you. Yah's going to prove it. That's what I got through verse 5. Okay, Ray, you got anything else? Well, I just a quick right, comment. Yeah. I think I may get caught by the uh, bumper music here in a second. Just two quick observations. This notion of people that are, are uh, uh, victors or, or the ruling people when, when they have subjugated a people, they have a way of justifying bar barbaric behavior by by subhumanizing them and that goes right back to verse two you know the the the, the priest and the person the maid and the servant you know this thing everybody looks alike you're just one of those people 
Exactly. You know, and that's that's a way that we've seen throughout history that as folks march down the trail of tears. And I've got one other thing on the other side, but I'll catch you there. Okay. Because I am here for reasons. Sometimes in my tears I drown. But I never let it get me down. So when negativity surrounds, I know someday the Lord turn around because This is the Torah Teachers Roundtable Tanakh edition, and uh, we are talking about the uh, book, of course, of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 24. And when we went to break, uh, Ray had something more that he wanted to add before we continue. So let me go back to Ray and uh, pick it up where you left off. Uh, thank you, Mark. Uh, just wanted to make one more comment. I had said before that uh, this notion of, uh, as, as people, and we've all seen horrible uh, film footage of... Uh, <laughs> Of, of the Japanese marching American and British GIs, you know, down down the trail, the Germans marching Jews, uh, our own cavalry marching Indians, and all this on these great death marches and and this sort of thing. It, it, it all uh, the only way that that happens, and as uh, MP rightly puts it, when you've got the 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 grunts that are that are uh, the the captors that are keeping. Uh, keeping the the ranks going and marching and moving and all that are usually pretty low level guys and all that, and yet they see themselves as being vastly superior to the people that are walking down the road and and that's just one of those human nature things that we yeah. <laughs> captors tend to put the captives in a box of being uh, subhuman or inferior and that's how they can get away with doing what they do. The other comment I wanted to make though was in verse five and I think it's interesting. Uh, uh, MP was talking about, it says the earth lies defiled under that. And I think the Hebrew there is khanef, uh, which, uh, says to be desecrated, to be defiled, corrupt, and so on and so forth. But also I think the notion of that is pollution. That, that when, when we transgress Torah, and, and, uh, we know this, uh, especially with not keeping Shemitah years, with doing all sorts of other things when Israel is in the land, that literally, the, the 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 word of God says that the land itself becomes defiled by that activity. It becomes polluted, which is a concept that I don't think many of us really think about and realize. And in this verse, there are three charges that are leveled against people that they have transgressed or they have disobeyed what was given. Uh, they have violated uh, uh, laws by changing the 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 intent of the laws and that sort of thing, 
and, and, and broken everlasting covenants. And that's not merely a transgression to break covenant is a, that's, we're talking about covenant vocabulary. It's a much deeper transgression than, uh, than just not following the law. It, it's, it's basically saying, well, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to completely uh, annul this agreement that we have and this and that and the other thing. And all the, all those activities literally defile or, or, uh, uh, pollute, pollute the earth. And therefore, it goes on to say a curse devours the earth then at that point in time. So that, that's, that's my other, only thought on that. Thank you. Okay, well, that of course is Good. consistent with what we see in uh, in uh, Deuteronomy chapter twenty-eight, where if you don't obey me, if you break my covenant, if you re- resist and do these things that I told you not to do, then these bad things are going to come upon you. That's and exactly right. Quite a list of them. That's exactly right. Yep, yep, exactly right. Same, uh, same. We get the the same message, different format in Deuteronomy eleven. Bless those that bless you, curse those that curse you. I mean, it, 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 it. We, we yeah. get the lesson lots of different places in lots of different ways. I, I guess that's required. Yes, curse them that despitefully use you. <laughs> okay. Okay. Are we ready, Mark? You got more you want to add? I'm sure before we move on. Um, I'm ready to go for six through twelve. How, how much? How far have we read? I read through six. I read through the end of six. Why don't you read Mark? Uh, why don't you read from six to twelve, and then that'll set MP yep. up. Here we go. Yeah. So the the, hurt, the curse has come, therefore, and devoured the earth, and the, those who dwell in, and and basically a lot of other things are desolate. Says verse six. Verse seven says, "The new wine fails, the vine languishes, all the merry-hearted sigh, the mirth of the tambourine ceases." And the noise of the jubilant ends, the joy of the harp ceases. They shall not drink wine with a song. Strong drink is bitter to those who drink it. The city of confusion is broken down. I wonder if that means a swamp, or there's probably a lot of candidates for that. Every house is shut up so that no may go, none may go in. There's a cry for wine in the streets. All joy is darkened. The mirth of the land is gone. we got kind of a general picture here that seems to be developing, right? It doesn't sound like a happy place. <laughs> and the city desolation is left, and the gate is stricken with destruction. When it shall be thus in the midst of the land among the people, it shall be like the shaking of an olive tree, like the gleaning of grapes when the vintage is done. So it, uh, there's a point at which uh, things kind of just uh, fall off the trees, fall off the vine, and uh, ain't much left. Um, all right. Uh, Ray, let's go to you this time. Well, I, I'll just make a general comment because I think probably Mark's got a lot more substance on it. Fascinating that, that uh, as you, you said, there's a theme here, and it kind of looks, it's kind of painted if the, 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 the party atmosphere of, of the city, which, of course, is a picture of the world itself, uh, is uh, has been threatened here. Even those who are used to you know, oh well, let's not worry about it. Let's uh, let's go get a beer. Let's you know this, that, the other thing. Uh, those that are used to keeping happy by by keeping inebriated and all the rest of it, uh, that that things are so bad that gosh, <laughs> even even that quart of whiskey isn't making things look any rosier to me. You know, uh, <laughs> there there's there's all this going on, and it just paints, as you rightly said, it paints a very very bleak picture. That those that are used to 
living a happy-go-lucky, merry life, uh, you know, we don't worry about the problems of politics or this or that or religion or all this. I just go about my way and do my thing. The, the, this has grabbed a hold of those people, and they're at the point where, oh, my gosh, you know, the, the place looks like a, a field or a vineyard that has been gone through by the harvesters, and there's stuff laid on the ground, and, I mean, it's it's – it's looking pretty shabby, so that's a general my general comment on that. Those uh, six seven verses. Okay, uh, Mark. All right. Well, then let me let me cover verses six through twelve. Here we go. Uh, Zimmer has an overview on verses six through twelve, um, and it's one line. <laughs> oh. <laughs> verses six through twelve portray the ecological collapse that will occur, destroying all rejoicing and happiness. Okay, now, because of all the stuff that went before in verses 1 through 5, like uh, the people basically ignoring Yah's warning of uh, impending danger, captivity, and their disregard of his commands, and their turning away from their promises to obey him, the curse is about to drop. The word that every faithful Yehudi commentator I am familiar with centers on is haro or harab, uh, from the Hebrew 2787 harar, which means to glow or to burn, to dry by extreme heat. Rashi explains it as an expression of dryness and thirst through the heat of dryness, and he then likens it to Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 29. The bellows are burned, the lead is consumed of the fire, the founder melteth in vain, for the wicked are not plucked away. Verse 30, reprobate silver shall they be called, because Yah hath rejected them. The word KJV translated reprobate in Jeremiah 6.30 is ma'as, which means to objectively find defect. Looks like silver, sounds like silver, tastes like silver, but it rusts like iron. You can actually tell what that something or someone is reprobate by observing them objectively. Somebody wanted to say something? Nope. Uh, no, actually, uh, it, could you tell me uh, when you went back and, and did that uh, excursus on the, the Hebrew word, what verse was that again, where the heat was? Um, or where the heat was? Let's see. Hang on a second. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't mean to knock you off your stride right. there. It but. was, it was uh, on verse... Uh, probably on verse 6 or I'm sorry, Jeremiah 6.29 Oh, Jeremiah, and, uh, okay The Hebrew root is uh, uh, H2787 Harar to glow or burn dry by extreme heat uh, uh, Oh, okay uh, Harar, I see it In mine it says scorched Okay, I'm with you now There you go. <laughs> Thank okay. you Thank you for bringing me on board <laughs> Okay, great Okay, now let's see, where was I? Oh, verse 7. Verse 7 speaks of new wine. I believe that is fresh-squeezed grape juice, but I could be wrong. Not likely, but there are the other two descriptions of this new wine. It mourns and languishes and makes those who are normally jovial depressed, which grape juice would do if you were looking for wine. Mark, can I, can I make a comment? Go for it. I say this only because I have 48 grapevines in my backyard. <laughs> uh, and, and I've made a gallon or two of wine in my day. 
new new wine is uh, you is the stuff that you have gathered in the late summer or uh, fall that you've trodden down or pressed some way that you have fermented and you have it put in either uh, we I always keep it in uh, glass carboy five gallon carboy jugs as it uh, as it sits over the course of the of the winter months and and typically we will taste the new wine in the spring to see well how did it do it's oh. not really great to drink at that point in time but at least you get an idea of how how do we do kind of thing so it's 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 palatable but it ain't but it ain't much uh i i don't know in uh in the case of a, a climate like israel where everything is warmer and they probably harvest earlier and and all that sort of thing. I, I think they fermented in those days in skins, yeah. uh, you know, and in in all of that. So I don't know how long they would have kept new wine before they deemed it palatable enough to drink. But but it's not uh, later on. I know, remember we read a verse someplace that that's coming up that talks about well aged wine or something. Yeah, that's the stuff that 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 survived a year or two. That's really starting to taste like it's something you want to drink. But uh, <laughs> anyway, sorry, little 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 technical comment there. I'll get out well, of the way. See, I'm not a wino. I drink beer. So <laughs> faster to the end result. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, let me get back to this now. <laughs> Two descriptions of this new wine. It mourns and languishes, and makes those who are normally jovial depressed. Okay. <laughs> That isn't normal. Sounds like depression. This wine is having the opposite effect from the norm. If I noticed this type of effect from drinking a couple of glasses of wine, I would probably stop and give warning to my fellow Alkies. Somebody spiked the wine. And by the way, if everyone who drank the wine were having an adverse reaction, I would quit and warn everyone else. Sounds like something Hamas would do to the Israeli water system, or maybe the Democrats in Congress and the White House. I got something going beep, beep, beep here. Anyway, let me ignore it. Verse 8 is sounding like blue states politicians and like the thinking of, or, or lack thereof, in the Senate and in the Oval Office. I really don't think there are a lot of people in America these days who would notice the likenesses between the U.S. government today and the kingdom of Yehuda just before their march to Babylon in Yeshayahu's day. Deja vu all over again. Verse 8 equals no joy. That's what it says. Mirth, tab, uh, the mirth of Tabrit ceased. The noise of them that rejoice ended. There's no joy anywhere. Yeah. Stuff has gone, gotten so bad in verse 9 that there is just no joy in anyone's heart in Jerusalem. And they know the willing, like the swilling alcohol isn't going to help. So they won't bother. If they're going to drink, it will be to celebrate and enhance their joy, not their despondency. So in verse 10, Jerusalem is called, uh, let me, let me see if I can get this right. Uh, Kariat Yehovah. Okay. I'm sorry, not Yehovah. Uh, Toha. I'm sorry. The city of confusion, Kiryat Tohu, is actually what it says. And it is uh, Shavar, broken down, as we said in the Navy, to parade rest, which is as 
comfortable, sloppy as anyone can be in formation. Rashi says on sepharia.org, where MP found a copy of Rashi on Tanakh. Anyway, uh, sepharia.org, I'll I'll put that in the text if you'd like. The, uh, The wasted city is broken. When it is broken, it will be called the wasted city. That's according to Rashi. This city is broken from entering for anyone. Do not pass go. All of that for anyone. No one will be allowed to enter Jerusalem, probably for their own good. This town is quite literally destroyed, and you would enter only at your own risk. That's through verse 10. And I got a paragraph or so on verses 11 and 12. Let me do that too. Uh, The Hebrew 6681 is tzavach. It literally means to wail or to cry aloud. What are they wailing for? What they are wailing for is wine, which may make one forget what they are wailing about, but will make more likely intensify the loss in their mind. When we are despondent, for whatever reason, alcohol is the last thing we really need. There is no joy in Jerusalem, as if mighty Casey had just struck out. Verse 11 drives the point home three times. Wailing for wine joy darkened, mirth stripped away. Hmm. And not to be left out, verse 12 adds to the agony of the city, becomes a desolation, a ruin, shamam, which drives, derives rather, from the Hebrew shamam, which means to desolate or to lay waste. Hmm. Nebuchadnezzar has done what he does best, tear down, destroy the enemy, his land and his pride, leaving the conquered with nothing but despair. I think that there were a lot of suicides among the Yehudim who were left in Jerusalem, and it may have become contagious. Let me close with Rashi's comment. Through desolation, the gate is battered. Through the desolation of loneliness, that the houses are desolate without an occupant, the gates shall become battered by demons and destructive creatures. Rashi must be speaking of the Babylonian desolation of the city since its walls had been torn down by the conquerors not to be rebuilt to Shlomo's specifications ever again. Okay? Jerusalem is going down. It has gone down. And they're being dragged off into captivity in this chapter. That's what I got through verse 12. All right. Are we ready to read on then? Uh, unless you have a comment. I No, I don't. I'm ready. Okay. Okay. So from verse 14, 14, 14 anyway. they shall lift up their voice. They shall sing. This is a change, isn't it? For the, for the majesty of Yahuwah, they shall cry aloud from the sea. Therefore, glorify Yahuwah in the dawning light, the name of Yahuwah, Elohim of Israel, in the coastlands of the sea. This is another one of those places where I always tend to want to point out, gee, when it says the name of the Lord, remember, they took out his name. So how are you going to glorify the name of Yahuwah if you take it out and nobody knows what it is because you're not supposed to be able to, well, to glorify it? Um, the name of Yahuwah... Elohim of Israel in the coastlands of the sea from the ends of the earth. We have heard songs 
Glory to the righteous, the Zadik, the Zadikim, the plural. But I said, I'm ruined, ruined, woe to me. The treacherous dealers have dealt treacherously. Indeed, the treacherous dealers have dealt very treacherously. They sound like cabinet ministers to me. All right, uh, Ray, let's go to you again on this one. Well, goodness, uh, uh, it, it, it's it's interesting that they that they, it talks, uh, and and I have to admit a little a little confusion in my mind over what's going on in uh, in 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 fourteen here because they lift up their voices, they sing for joy over the majesty of the Lord, they shout from the west. I am trying to figure out. Uh, I think that's uh, Yam Yam is C, is it not? Yes. So that so in my thing it says they shout from the west or they shout from the sea, and therefore in the east, Ur yes, we've got the, the direction of the sunrise. They give glory to Yehovah in the coastlands of the sea. They give glory. To, so so within this, I guess what's being said here, and maybe maybe MP's uh, expose here in a minute will will clear this up. So they're they're singing for joy from from sea. From sea to from border to border is the the way that that I read it, but it says but 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 I am saying, you know it's it's all wasted woe is me, so I don't I'm not I'm not clear who is who is singing tour for the glory of God from sea to sea, and is it just the the inhabitants of Jerusalem that are saying oh woe is me, I I'm I'm a little fuzzy on this one. Okay. Um. If that's yeah, a <laughs> sorry, you know, I know, I know we're supposed to be given answers, but sometimes all I got is questions. <laughs> that's fair enough. You're coming on what verse there, Ray? Ah, uh, that's uh, fifteen. Fifteen. Okay. Well, let me tackle fifteen and sixteen, and we'll. Uh, well, actually, it starts we'll in fourteen. See if I can give you an answer. Yeah, starts in fourteen. Yeah, well, I've covered for, through 14. Okay, so, uh, okay, 15 and 16. Here's Rashi on verse 15. Therefore, for the lights, uh, that's the, the uh, English, Jonathan paraphrases, uh, when lights come to the righteous concerning the two good tidings, both that of the redemption from Babylon and that of Adam, uh, most manuscripts read... Uh, uh, Jonathan paraphrases, when lights come to the righteous concerning the two lights, in other words, and uh, or etc. And Menachem stated, uh, Machbaret, page 32, that um, Urim is an expression of holes and crevices where they were fleeing. And so, or the valley of the Chaldees, and so, on the whole, of an adder. Okay, and, and it, it hmm. tells you what that is too. The the hole is of its dwelling. Okay, Baurim tells me in the lights, with a bait prefix signaling in, rather mm -hmm. than for the lights. But I'm not a Hebrew scholar that Rashi is, so you choose. The Zamra on verse 15 says, "Therefore glorify God in the uh, regions of light." Verse 15. Now the Targum renders. When light will come to the Tzadikim, give glory to Elohim. And boy, that's the truth, too. And the Tzadikim are getting the light of Yah. That's going to be a very good thing. But anyway, 
Remember that Yehuda has, for the most part, been carried off to Babylon, and only a remnant remains, while Nebuchadnezzar is shipping uh, in probably hundreds of thousands from all over the empire to dilute the people's willingness to rebel. Those who are being introduced to the Yehudim by force are in even worse circumstances as are the Yehudim in Babylon. Both groups are super minorities in their own homes. Okay? Babylon has been carried away from Babylon to somewhere else, and Jerusalem has been carried away from Jerusalem to somewhere else, and so they are in, uh, their natives are in a vast minority. What follows is from Azamra and is almost identical to my source of Rashi, that is safaria.org. From the corner of the earth, we have heard songs, glory to the Tzaddik, in verse 16. Rashi renders, we have heard from behind the pargod, that is the screen that conceals Elohim's court from men, that songs are destined to rise from the corner of the earth. And what are those songs? Glory to the tzaddik. The tzaddikim are destined to arise and endure. I thank God I'm breathing, and I pray, don't take me soon, because I am here for Sometimes in my tears I drown, but I never let it get me down. So when negativity surrounds, I know someday either lost or not because all my life I've been waiting for one. I've been praying for one for the people to say that we don't wanna fight no more. There'll be no more wars, and our children will pay. Sometimes I live under the moon. Welcome to the Torah Teachers Roundtable, Apostolic Edition, with your hosts Rob Miller, Mark Patron, and yours truly, Mark Call. We hope you'll find this discussion entertaining, thought-provoking, and that above all, you'll be like the Bereans and search out the scriptures for yourself to see if these things be true. I know We are back, folks. This is the Torah Teachers Roundtable to Knock Edition, and we're uh, we're going to try to finish book uh, of Isaiah chapter 24 this afternoon. When we went to break, we interrupted MP, so let's go back to him. Let him finish uh, what he wants to talk about first, anyway. So go ahead, Mark. <laughs> All right. All right. Where did I get cut off? Is the question. <laughs> I've lost myself. Um, okay. I'm gonna, I'm just going to start at the at the third paragraph here. Uh, Baurim tells me in the lights. Did I say that before? Um, the bait prefix signaling in rather than for the lights. Yeah, I haven't read this yet. Uh, okay. Mark, can I interrupt you for a moment? Go for it. I just want to say that my translation is exceedingly different. It says, therefore, in the east, in other words, the direction from which the sun rises, this word lights is just, uh, well, it's uh, it's in my definition uh, in my dictionary, but it says, therefore, in the east, give glory to the Lord and this, that, and the other thing. So that I don't know if others uh, who are out there listening in the audience are going, lights, where's lights? That, but, but, just an FYI to people that, that that's 
that's an English rendering that I have that's, that's different from what you're reading. Exactly. What I'm what I'm uh, I'm quoting from Rashi at this particular point, um, and he said that uh, uh, Ba'urim is yeah. Life. That's what he said. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I see it in the Hebrew. I, I just, again, going going by what I've got in the English version, uh, it, 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 I, I was I was lost. So well, anyway, go ahead. For what it's worth, the uh, the okay. New King James version I, says. I, I'm trusting. For the, what it's worth, I'm MP. The, uh, the... Uh, briefly, for what it's worth, the New King James yeah. says. Therefore, they shall glorify Yahuwah in the dawning light, which seems to combine both renderings. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, I, I see in the the definition that all those definitions are there: light, east, the direction of the sunrise, you know, and, and all that. And I, I guess if you're a Hebrew speaker in context, you you know which way things are leaning. It, it's just uh, I just brought that up because at first I was scrambling to figure it out, and I just for the for the uh, the good of the listeners that are out there, I just wanted to. Okay. Just kind of clear that up. Okay, yeah, the, the, the different the different English translations, um, and and especially the the King James is the one I'm using, and uh, the the King James version is uh, was very that was a group of very anti-Semitic, uh, Episcopal at best, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, bishops that did the translation on that thing. So you know it's it's probably not the best translation of the Hebrew scriptures. But anyway. <laughs> so again, here's Rashi on verse 15. Therefore, for the lights of Ba'urim, Jonathan trans- uh, paraphrases, when lights come to the righteous concerning the two good things, both of the redemption from Babylon and that of Adam, the manuscript reads, Jonathan paraphrases, when lights come to the righteous, Concerning the two lights, and Menachem stated in uh, Machbaret, page 32, that Urim is in an expression of holes and crevices that they were fleeing. And so, Ur, the valley of the Chaldees, that's what we're talking about here now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, <laughs> I, I love how they keep doing this, and so, and on the hole of an adder. Okay, so <laughs> the so whole sneak hole. isn't that amazing? How do how do fourteen different uh, uh, Hebrew speakers? He, the, I mean, people that grew up with the language get fourteen different translations. Just lucky, I guess. Well, and, and you know, you can see that in English. How do people anyway. read "shall not be infringed" and decide you can go ahead and take away everybody's guns, and that's the end of the story? Uh, you know, maybe some of them are lying. I guess is one simple answer too. They don't want you to know what it really says. Yeah. <laughs> I hear you. Okay, so we got this word "baurim." Okay, in the light is the way that that sounds to me. Okay, the bait prefix signaling in rather than for the lights doesn't make any sense to me. But I am not the Hebrew scholar that Rashi is, so you choose. Okay. Azamra on verse 15. Therefore, glorify God in the regions of light. That's what they say, verse 15 says. Hmm. The Targum renders, when light will come to the Tzadikim, give glory to Elohim. 
Now, now that's a good idea. Yeah. Now, remember that Yehuda has, for the most part, been carried off to Babylon, and only a remnant remains while Nebuchadnezzar is shipping in probably hundreds of thousands from all over the empire to dilute the people's willingness to rebel. Those who are being introduced to the Yehudim by force are in even worse circumstances as as are the Yehudim in Babylon. Both groups are super minorities in their new homes. What follows is from Zamra and is almost identical to my uh, source of Rashi, that is safario.org. Um, from the corner of the earth, we have heard songs. Glory to the Tzaddik in verse 16. Rashi renders, we have heard from behind the pargod, that is the screen that conceals God's court from man, that songs are destined to arise from the corner of the earth. And that, and what are those songs? Glory to the Tzaddik, the Tzaddik came, are destined to arise and endure. The corner of the earth alludes to uh, the rebuilt temple. From the holy temple, joy will spread to all the inhabitants of the earth, according to the Targum. And I said, uh, this is, uh, where is, oh, okay, um, oh, okay, this is still from Rashi. And I said, a secret is revealed to me. A secret is revealed to me. Woe to me. Traitors have dealt treacherously. Traitors have dealt very treacherously in verse 16. Rashi explains, Woe to me that two secrets are revealed to me, a secret concerning retribution and a secret concerning salvation, and the salvation will remain far off, coming only after plundering enemies will come. Plunderers after plunderers and robbers followed by more robbers. The Hebrew text contains five expressions of betrayal, refer, uh, referring to Babylon, Media, Persia, Greece, and Edom, all of whom will subjugate Israel prior to their redemption. Does the last sound anything like the Hamas attack on Israel on Yom HaKippurim? I see a parallel or two. How's about you? Now, the Hebrew word Razi in verse 16 means not only my secret, but also has the connotation of leanness. Because the terrible prophecy that Israel's final redemption will be accompanied by harsh retribution caused the prophet's flesh to shrink in horror. We are two-thirds finished with our present Hoptera study. If things keep going as they are, uh, or as they have been, I ought to have nine pages of notes for this 27-verse chapter. Don't count on it. I'll probably only have seven. Anyway... I'm over the questions and comments up to verse 16. Okay. Uh, I, Ray? Uh, that's, uh, no, at this point, I, I think the, I think the text pretty much, yeah, pretty clear, says it uh, again, uh, it's a very different rendering, uh, that he has with, uh, uh, 1415 and, and all that uh, being the, the the enlightened ones, the, the people of the light, and all that, and that all makes perfect sense the way that it was read. It ju it's just it's fascinating. That it's it's so different in my version, but but no no harm no foul. That's why we talk about stuff out loud and read different versions so so we can kind of keep keep stuff straight. What's going on? 
Are we ready to read on then? Red, do you, do you have anything else you want to add independently? No, that no, that's okay. I think we can probably can continue on at this point. All right, good. Um, well then, let's see where are we at. I read through um, seventeen. Seventeen. So yeah, fear. Seventeen, I think, is where we start. That's where we start. Fear and the pit and the snare are upon you, O inhabitant of the earth. Then it shall be that he who flees from the noise of the fear shall fall into the pit, and he who comes up from the midst of the pit shall be caught in the snare. This is kind of a, there's a, there's an old expression I like, and I can't help but think of it when I read this. Heads I win, tails you lose. Any way you look at it, you lose. A Paul Simon song, Mrs. Robinson. <laughs> so, you know, turn this way, it's, sorry, it's, it's not gonna work. So, yeah, either the pit or the snare. For the windows from on high are open, and the foundations of the earth are shaken. And uh, that's a paragraph break. I know Ray likes to stop there. Um, you know, it's a, it's just a fairly straightforward concept is all I'd have to add to it. Uh, Ray, let's go to you first again. I, I, I don't know. Uh, again, I think that uh, I love your <laughs> I love your thing. Heads I win, tails you lose. Yeah, that's <laughs> that, that's pretty good. Uh, it, it just. Uh, uh, again, speaking here, the inhabitants of the earth, that, that it's no matter at this point in time, no, no matter what's going on, there just isn't an exit strategy here aside from turning to God. You, you can't, you, if you try to, if you try to duck into the pit, uh, you know, to get, a, get away from the noise and this and that and the other thing, you're in trouble. If you try, if you hear it and you try to climb out, you'll get caught in the snare. You know, the windows of heaven are opened. I, I'm possibly imagining that could be, uh, you know, uh, hail, or rain, something like that. Foundations of the earth tremble, of course, earthquakes and, 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 and so on and so forth. So it's just there, there, no place to go. Nowhere to <laughs> run to, nowhere to hide. Uh, yeah. yeah. So that, that's the thought there. All right. All right. Go ahead, Mark. I can go 17 to the end if you're ready. We are. Yeah, go ahead, Mark. Oh, you have have you read the whole chapter? No. He finished at 18. I finished at 18. Finished at 18. I, I was waiting okay, for you to yeah, comment I'm, on I'm, that. You want to you want to go on? Yeah, I've got I've I've got a couple of couple of four or five paragraphs to go through the end of the chapter. So why don't we just read through? Oh, yeah, why okay. don't we go ahead and read to the end of the chapter and then we can comment ad yeah. libitum. Okay, we got it. The earth is violently broken, it says. And by the way, there were I forget the number, but it was uh, dozens and dozens of earthquakes in uh, California and Nevada. Just uh, in the last 24 hours or so, like uh, her, whole swarms of earthquakes. And there are some that suggest that that's indicative of something big maybe on the horizon. But it says the earth is violently broken. The earth is that's split me. open. The earth rets is shaken exceedingly. The earth shall reel to and flow, fro like a drunkard. Is that a pole shift or what? Uh, or a meteor strike. Yeah. And shall totter like a hut. Its transgression shall be heavy upon it. And it will fall. And not rise again. That's interesting. 
It shall come to pass in that day that Yahuwah will punish on high the host of the exalted ones, and on the earth, the kings of the earth, they will be gathered together as prisoners are gathered in the pit, and will be shut up in the prison. After many days, they'll be punished. Then the moon will be disgraced and the sun ashamed, for Yahuwah Zebuot will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, and before his elders gloriously. So, again, that seems fairly clear to me as well. Uh, there's kind of a time when uh, there are a whole lot of things that are going to be real obvious as far as the earth being uh, shattered, drunken, split open, and uh, reeling to and fro, after which it comes to pass that the exalted ones, and maybe that means Klaus Schwab, those who are thinking they're gods, will be punished on the earth, the kings. They gather together in the pit. Um, it's time for uh, some, some comeuppance. All right, MP, your comments. All right, here we go. Uh, <clears throat> cover to the end of the chapter here. Uh, this prophecy, especially beginning right here, <clears throat> is speaking, in verse 17, is speaking, I think, directly to this generation on whom I think the ends of the earth are about to come. The roundtable trio may not live long enough to see the end of days, because we're all pretty old. But we are able to surmise from clues given in the texts and in the commentaries both Ortho-Jewish and Christo-Messianic sources. We do have something of an affinity. Yah is speaking to the generic inhabitant of the earth, not just Israel. Here's a Zamra on verse 17. They say, Fear and the pit and the trap are upon you, O inhabitant of the land. This refers to Edom, Ishmael, and the other nations who are the dwellers in the land and the lords over it, while Israel is in exile from them. The prophet is saying, Do not think that Israel alone will be in trouble. For all of you, too, who think you will be the lords and dwellers on the earth, will be made to move out of it. And each and every nation will move from its place, but Israel will be saved from the trouble, and the tzaddikim will be written for life, while you will not escape, that according to Radak. Now, <clears throat> Yah is a is the uh, Rabbi David Kimchi. Um, Yah is now speaking of to all Yahal, not just the Yehudi. There will be at least a remnant of every nation and people on earth included in this prophecy, in my not so humble opinion. If you find yourself in the land after the Great Reset, or whatever the media will call the Great Reset, <laughs> don't try to escape. You're a goy, for goodness sake. You have little or nothing to fear. You'll have more to fear from your own actions than from the authorities. Here's another example. He who, this is from Rashi, okay, and on verse 18. He who flees from the noise of the fear shall fall into the pit, and he who comes out of midst of the pit shall be taken in the trap. One who escapes from the sword of Mashiach ben Yosef will fall to the sword of Mashiach ben David. This is what Rashi is saying now. And whoever escapes from this will be caught in the trap in the war of Gog Umagog. Okay? That's obviously the end of time. Okay? Azamra is telling us who I really believe are the generation on whom these prophecies will be fulfilled. And I think I see the workups going on as we speak, read, and listen today. And I am not sure if Azamra sees what I do. 
Maybe I'll email, email them and ask. Anyway, here's what they have to say. And it shall be on that day that Yah will punish the host of the high ones on high and the kings of the earth on the earth. That's on verse 21. First, Elohah will cast down the guardian angels to the, of the nations from the heaven, and then he will throw down the nations themselves, according to Rashi, again, Adlok. When a people's genius and culture decline, the people itself declines. In or on that day refers to a specific day that Yah has long ago determined will be his day of action. If I am correct about the Gog Umagog day being just over the horizon, we need to really keep our account short with Avinu. And they shall be gathered together as prisoners are gathered in the pit. This is the pit of hell that we're talking about in verse 22. And you can see Rashi Adlok is what it says there on that location. Now Rashi has this in light of that. And they shall be gathered, a gathering that is to their detriment. In other words, to bring a prisoner into the dungeon prepared for him, those sentenced to Gehinnom to be brought into Gehinnom. That's, that's hell. As most of you know, Gehinnom is another designation for hell. It used numerous, it's used numerous times in the scripture. And here's one of them. Uh, this is from the Targum. Then the moon shall be confounded and the sun ashamed, in verse 23. Those who worship the moon shall be confounded and those who bow to the sun will be humbled, in the Targum. People will know that God rules over everything, including the laws of nature. Okay. Yeshayahu uses the word ashamed instead of the King James Version's confounded. To me, confounded means at a loss for words or what to think, not ashamed, which speaks to one's thought of his own actions or thinking. If Mark Call or Ray would do something egregiously bad, I would not be ashamed, but stupefied as to why one of them had done that deed. And why would the moon an inanimate object in our night sky, which has no feelings whatsoever, be ashamed. But Rashi's explanation tells us what the original means. Here's what he says. And the moon shall be ashamed, etc. Jonathan paraphrases, and the worshippers of the moon shall be ashamed, and the worshippers of the sun shall be humbled. That makes a lot more sense from the word worshippers doesn't appear in the text. I think it's possible that the KJV translators had no clear idea what the original Hebrew was trying to convey, which I think was an indication of the guilt that was actually occurring in the sun and the moon worshipers, who knew in their hearts and minds that the celestial bodies that they saw were just there to inspire awe at the power of Yah Yeshua, who created all that we see and experience. And that's what I got for the rest of this chapter. Okay, let me let me go to Ray, but just one quick comment, MP. There's another way, when I read it, that I can see oh, the moon being ashamed, and that is that, well, I guess there's two ways at least. Uh, one of them is when people are ashamed, they blush. 
So um, maybe the moon changes color and looks like it's blushing. Yes. That wasn't what I thought originally. Originally, what I thought was the moon is the brightest object in the night sky, and maybe something else comes to outshine it, and therefore it's shamed into, uh, you know, I'm not as bright as I thought I was. So it's a, it's a reference to something else or, or the fact that it is dimmed. Uh, one way or another, anyway, it, uh, it seems to have a, a different aspect. Uh, but anyway, that's just my take on it as a different option. Oh, yeah, that could be. All right, uh, Ray. Why don't you go ahead? I got. I got no problem with that. We're we're allowed to disagree and still like each other. <laughs> uh, just just a quick comment. I'll, I'll uh, comment on uh, verse twenty three because that's where we are. Then I'm going to back up uh, to uh, twenty one. Uh, interestingly, in mine uh, for for confounded, as uh, MP put it, uh, probably based on the KJV, is chafer which means to feel dismay, to be disgraced, humiliated, be in confusion, to be ashamed, to be humiliated, and so on and so forth. Now, then it says, and the sun is ashamed, different Hebrew word, bush, bos, uh, no, it's maybe it's bos, uh, to be put to shame, to be ashamed, to be disgraced, to feel ashamed. So two different words that seemingly have the same uh, definition Obviously, I'm not a Hebrew speaker, so I don't know the nuance uh, uh, in between the two. But but obviously, uh, there's there, there's something going on uh, there. I, I don't know that confounded is a is a particularly good translation. Uh, I don't think the moon is confused. I think it's ashamed. I think the sun is ashamed. And the way I put it is, <laughs> these being uh, these are inanimate objects being worshipped by. Folks that are worshiping things they shouldn't be worshipped. In yeah. other words, even the sun and the moon re, uh, is ashamed that people are worshiping them, for they know who the Lord of Hosts is. He reigns in Zion, in Jerusalem. That's interesting. You know, so so that's kind of what I get out of out of that. Um, what was it I wanted to do back uh, in twenty um, one? Oh, yeah, uh, my, mine, <laughs> my translation again, and it's good. I'm, I'm glad we're doing some of this because folks at home may have a problem. i got to hurry. The break's almost here. It says on, the day, uh, on that day, Yehovah will punish the host of heaven. Mine says, when we see that, of course, we're thinking of hev- the heavenlies. We're, we're right. thinking of angels and those sorts of things. That's marom in the Hebrew, the heights or a high place or an elevated position or all of that. This is where Mark Call talked about the Klaus Schwabs and all those. So uh, the Lord will uh, will punish the, the host that is in the, the high places, the elites. I think that's what that's getting to. And I pray, don't take me soon, because I am here for reasons. Sometimes in my tears I drown, but I never let it get me down. So when negativity surrounds, I know. Do 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 do
right, welcome back. The final segment today of the Torah Teachers Roundtable Tanakh edition and the final part of chapter 24, it would seem as well. We uh, we read through the end of the chapter and I uh, don't remember exactly who we got uh, interrupted at the bottom. Was it you, Mark? Were you finished? MP? It, it was me, but, but I was okay. pretty much done uh, at that. I was I was just uh, uh, pointing out that, that uh, for... For those that are out in the audience that may be reading different translations, in uh, 2421, it was saying that on that day the Lord uh, Yehovah will punish the host of heaven. And it's written there, the Hebrew is marom, which can mean heaven, but it means a a place of uh, uh, an elevated position, you know, a a prideful, haughty place uh, and all that. And you had made a comment earlier, you know, that... uh, that the Klaus Schwabs of the world and, uh, you know, all those sorts of folks may be going to get their comeuppance and all that. I think that's exactly what this is meaning. It doesn't mean that Yehovah is, is, is punishing the, the created, the, the, the angels, uh, all that. It doesn't mean that something going on and what we would think of traditionally as Sunday school heaven. That's, that's not what's being said. That's probably a poor, poor translation. Okay, yeah, that's it's usually if it's in Sunday school, it's usually a part translation. Is is my uh, observation from way back, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, and I and, and I know oftentimes as we read through those things, uh, unless uh, and I happen to have some marvelous software here, and I will recommend to all the Mac users out there, Accordance software, fabulous stuff. Great, great software program for serious Bible students. Can you spell uh, that for folks? But, uh, but boy, you can have a, you can have a couple uh, uh, a couple of versions running side by side, and they're all all linked by hyperlinks. And, and boy, I'll tell you, it's really really helps your understanding. Okay, can you spell that for so, folks, Ray? Uh, anyway, I I've not been paid to say that, but oh, A C C O R D A N C E accordance. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're a company, I believe that it's based in Florida. Um, uh, you, you can find them and they are very, very nice people to work with. Uh, again, for Mac users, uh, I, it's, it's great on my desktop, but you know, they've got, uh, I've got it on my phone and I've got it on my iPad as well. And you can sync them all up. And so notes that you make in one version sync, you know, if I, if I uh, highlight something in one of my versions here today, next time I pull up my phone and I go to that passage. It's highlighted. It's it's powerful stuff. And there are a vast number of Hebrew and Greek tools that are available, as well as just more 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 commentaries than um, than I can shake a stick at. I, I've got to say, <laughs> at this point, uh, lots of different modules. You can you can go in for uh, a, a real basic version, or you can go in for just a, a whole scholars. Library. If if you want, you just pay for it. Pay for what you want. <laughs> okay. So it, it's it's good stuff. The the corollary would be for Matt, for uh, Windows users is uh, uh, Logos. Oh, but, okay. But I'm not a Windows user, uh, so I I don't do that. <laughs> All right. All right, MP. You got anything ready? else you want to add, or should we continue into the next chapter? We- we can go to the next chapter if you'd like. Yeah, let's. Yeah, I'm game for just a, a, a little bit going into 25. Uh, 
so r- read on, sir. <laughs> okay, now this is actually, uh, it almost sounds a bit like a psalm, if you, uh, if you look at it. Um, and no wonder there's a break here. It says, Oh, Yahuwah, you are my El, Elohi. I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things. Your counsels of old are faithfulness and truth, for you have made a city a ruin, a fortified city a ruin, a palace of foreigners to be a city no more. It'll never be rebuilt. Therefore, the strong people will glorify you. The city of the terrible nations will fear you. For you have been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat, from the uh, for the blast of the terrible ones is as a storm against a wall. And uh, that sounds like, uh, you know, it doesn't prevail. You will reduce the noise of aliens as heat in a dry place, as heat in the shadow of a cloud. The song of the terrible ones will be diminished. So let's uh, let's go from there. It's a good setup. And um, uh, again, it, it sounds to me like a psalm, yeah. and, and there's not a whole lot I can add to that. Um, certainly, it sounds like something which represents a praise to him after these other things are accomplished, or uh, when something has been fulfilled, essentially, that we already know eventually is going to happen. All right, uh, Mark, go ahead. Well, oh. All right. Let me jump on verses 1 and 2, and uh, I'll let you guys uh, shoot me down then. Okay, Zabra <laughs> has this comment on verse 1. They say, Hashem, you are my God, I will exalt you, I will praise your name. The closing sections of the previous prophecy, Isaiah 24, 16 to 23, depicted the overthrow of the nations in the war of Gog and Magog, when God will assert his rule in Jerusalem and restore honor to his elders, the righteous. Our present chapter begins with the response of these elders who will acknowledge God for having done wondrously in gathering them in from their scattered places of exile among the nations of the uh, to the land of Israel and for having cast down the armies of Gog and Magog on its hills. That's Radak on verse 1 of our present chapter, this chapter here, 25. Rashi, Adlok, um, check his that, that place, uh, explains that God's uh, counsels of old in the faithfulness and trust refers to his covenant with Abraham in the covenant between the pieces. Genesis chapter 15, <coughs> when he promised him that his descendants would possess the land. Okay, now, between the pieces is an interesting thing. Stone Sinach has uh, is of the impression that chapters 24 and 25 are related or were meant for each other, like my lovely bride and me. Now, chapter 25 continues the thought of chapter 24. In other words, Yeshiyahu probably wrote them as one, but what what became of chapter 25 uh, has uh, sufficiently sufficient new aspects to it that the sages decided to divide them. Verse 24 gives the reason why we need to acknowledge Yah's superiority to us. And 25 reports makes that acknowledgement. Rashi has these on verse 1. Counsels from long ago in true faith. Counsels advised from long ago to Abraham in the covenant between the parts. Do you remember the covenant of the pieces in Genesis 15? 
after Abraham had recovered the king of Sodom's booty, after the five kings came to make off with, with a bunch of Canaani captives, <laughs> captives, captives rather, yep. uh, Yah yeah. made a deep sleep fall on Abram, and afterward renamed Abram Abraham. MP believes after Yah had breathed upon Abram, okay, because he added the ha, huh. okay. Now, yes. at the end of verse 1, Yeshiahu uses a double use of the word ama. Uh, I'm sorry, am, amo. Um, emunah, aman, aman. Okay, or amen. When Yah reiterates himself in two words, you can take what he said to the bank and collect the interest. It shall happen as he says it will. And then, in verse 2, Yah makes sure that we understand when he reiterates what he already reiterated in verse 1. Reiterates. That is a quintuple reference, and 5 is the number of Yah's grace to usward. Grace is the number 5, right? And exactly who is going to get in the way of that, the only one who can is us. Only we can get in the way of the blessing that Yah wants to put on us. Rashi has this comment on verse 2's, You have made of a city and heap. says this, For you have made Mount Seir from a city into a heap, a palace of, of strangers because of the city. Because of the iniquity that they committed in your city, they, that they destroyed it, you shall make its palace as a ruin, which shall never be rebuilt. Azamra has this overview to add on verses two through five, which I'm gonna I'm gonna stop with. On verses two through five, uh, depicts God's overthrow of cities and strongholds of the nations in the end of days, and how this will bring them to fear him. The closing words of verse two tell how God will make a palace of strangers to be no city. It shall never be built. Targum renders, the temple of the deity of the nations in the city of Jerusalem shall never be built. One wonders if prior to their overthrow at the end of days, the nations will attempt to build an idolatrous temple in Jerusalem only to be thwarted by God as seemingly implied by the Targum. Well, we'll comment on verses 3 through 5 after I give someone else a chance to talk. And... Uh, you guys, go ahead and take, go ahead, take some shots at me if you'd like. <laughs> um, just uh, a, a comment I have on verse 1. Uh, uh, and uh, Mark made the comment, gee, this, this, this looks like a song. This sounds like uh, a song or something. I think that's exactly right. This is in the form of a song. Uh, at least in one of my commentaries, they, they call this the, uh, uh, what is it, the song of praise. So I think it's fascinating. I don't have a Hebrew Torah scroll in front of me, so I can't look and see if the uh, uh, if it's actually if the text is offset the way that songs are typically offset in the Torah. The uh, the the ways that the scribes write them, uh, they're oftentimes center justified rather than being left uh, right justified. But anyway, with, with all that being said. Uh, 
a couple of things. I want to just remind our audience of a couple of things, and I'll go back and read this. It says, Oh, Yehovah, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things. Plans formed of old. Emunah omen. Faithful emunah's truth, truth and faithfulness and faithfulness is, as MP said, when we see two forms of the same word there together, that you can take that to the bank. I would like right. to uh, remind uh, our audience of a couple of places in Scripture, and I'm going to cite them and then read them. Uh, bear with me, folks, but I think it's it's powerful here. Uh, when the children of Israel come up on the other side of the Red Sea in the morning and survey the carnage, in Exodus 15:2, Moses sings, Yehovah is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation, my Yeshua. He is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Uh, In Numbers 23.19, this reminds us that God is not a man that he should lie, or the son of man that he should change his mind. He has said it, and he will will he not do it. He has spoken it, will he not fulfill it. Again, I would uh, take us to Deuteronomy chapter 32, the fourth verse. It says, uh, this is Moses speaking, the rock, his work is perfect and all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Uh, Psalm 21, be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. And finally, we get to, uh, oh, where is it? I lost it. Oh, goodness. Oh, there it is. Revelation 15, 3. And they will sing the song of Moses. Now, the song of Moses that was sung in, in Exodus 15, 2 is known in the literature as the song of the sea, yep. uh, not the song of Moses. Deuteronomy 32 is known as the song of Moses. But interestingly, here in Revelation, it says, and they will sing the song of Moses. I believe this is a new song. The servant of God and, uh, and, uh, and the song of the land, lamb, I can't read, saying, great and amazing are your deeds. O Yehovah, God uh, Almighty, El Shaddai, just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. So we have this same exact verbiage. All these places in Scripture, both past, uh, before this event and after this event. So this is one of those just amazing, amazing moments. And and one last little comment about this section of the Scriptures here, that again, we're following this pattern that Isaiah sets up where he goes through and he basically says, okay, look, guys, here's the bad news. And man, I'll tell you what. Isaiah could shovel out some pretty scary stuff and he would <laughs> and he'd say, and you're going to lose this and this is going to happen and it's going to be horrible and just all this sorts of stuff. And just when you don't think I can't take another verse of this, then we get. But here's 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 the redemption. Here's what's coming for you faithful. Here's why this is all uh, all work, uh, all, all worthwhile. And again, we have this same pattern in, in action here. So here is the here is the the song of deliverance and hope uh, for the, for the nation Israel. So that's that's a, a filibuster no more. 
Okay. <laughs> Mark, we got less about five minutes before we uh, the top of the hour. All right. Uh, let me have uh, for a couple of, for two or three of those anyway. Uh, I'm going to come cover verses three through five. Um, okay. In at least two pieces, I'm going to cover three through twelve, but I'm going to get to the rest of it next week probably. Okay. So verse three says that because of all the divine pronouncements in verses 1 and 2, the strong will glorify Yah and tremble in fear of him who brought this unexpected victory to his people. The Mount Seir that Rashi refers to is the plateau to the east of the Dead Sea and north of the Sea of Galilee. Who are these strong people to whom Yeshiahu refers in verse 3? Since the strong people glorify Yah, they must be us, or someone like us. The pagans will not glorify Yah until their fight with his people ends, and they are left alive to acknowledge his superiority to their false Elohim. Will they trust him? That will be up to them. But after the convincing shellacking that he gave them, they just might, and be thankful for their lives. He didn't have to spare any of them, but he would spare them. So, in verses 4 and 5, their prayer of thanksgiving is heartfelt. I would assume that their enemies far outnumbered them, but that Yah wiped the enemies out and spared the vast majority of his people. Look at that description of Yah's protection in verse 4. It says, For thou hast been uh, a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shadow from the heat, when the blast of terrible ones as a storm against the wall. That's people praising Yah. That's who this is that's, that's taking care of these people. <clears throat> so, in verses 4 and 5, their prayer of thanksgiving is heartfelt. I've already read that. Uh, the last phrase there, the blast of the terrible as a storm against the city's wall. Okay? I do believe that Yah is the wall against which the enemy is not succeeding to penetrate. Their offensive against him is as useless as udders on a bull. Uh, yeah, I cleaned that colloquialism up for you. Rashi has this on verse 4. A shelter now, a shelter from pouring rain, a covering of a tent, to save them from pouring rain and a shade to protect from heat. Now, what is that pouring rain? A spirit of tyrants, Rashi says about this, for their spirit is like a stream that floods the wall and causes it to fall. A spirit of what, The besieged Mark? people continue their praise of Yah. What was that? A spirit of what, said Rashi? Oh, he said, for their spirit is like a stream that floods the wall and before, causes it to fall. Before that, before that. Yeah, the spirit of tyrants. Tyrants. The spirit of tyrants. Okay, okay, got it. Yes. Okay. Okay, so the besieged people continue to praise of Yah's protection in verse 5, and Rashi has this on verse 5. Like heat in a dry season. In the dry season, when the seeds dry out to be cut off, so shall you humble the multitude of the strangers. Like heat with a thick cloud, when the heavens 
thicken with thick clouds in the hot season, with which everyone rejoices, so will the song of the righteous be sung concerning the cutting down of the tyrants and their downfall. And the downfall of, literally the cutting down of, an expression related to Leviticus 25.4, you shall not prune. The word KJV translates as noise in is uh, H7588 um, Sha'un uh, from the Hebrew 7582 Sha'ah to desolate, to be barren, to be unfocused, which is exactly what Yah is doing, focusing his attention on relieving the pressure of his people from the invaders. The invaders won't be able to concentrate on their siege because nothing they attempt works like it has in the past against other foes than Israel. Okay? They're fighting Israel. They can't make their siege works work. Okay? Because Yah is watching after Israel. That's the whole point of that. So, that's what I got through verse 5. If you'd like to uh, question or comment, go for it. Okay. Ray, you got about a minute. Do you have anything you just want to simply add or... or, or? Well, the... the uh... Golly, uh, again, um, when when you you look at this, the the strong peoples will glorify you. Uh, uh, again, the Lord takes care of the poor. The Lord takes care of the needy. Amen. He gives them shelter from the storm, from the heat. Uh, he he shields them from the tyrants and, and all this. And 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 again, we we have to realize. That all of this, this song that's being, uh, directed and sung is they are, the, these are the dwellers that are now, I believe, on Mount Zion. And I think when we start next week, it'll, yeah, in verse six, it says on this mountain, uh, Yehovah of hosts will make for the people. And then it talks about all the wonderful, marvelous things that will happen at, at this point in time. So I think what's being talked about here are, are those that have, those that have made it to the end, um, and I believe uh, you're right. Yeah, and and have managed to be. That's that's I I, I hope our our destiny uh, that uh, we're called to be overcomers. We're, yeah. we're called, you know, blessed are those who make it all the way to the finish line if we can possibly do that, you know. And I think that's where we're we're starting to read about some of the reward that that uh, that awaits for. Uh, for, for persevering and hunkering down because, you know, it gets, boy, <laughs> as you read all this stuff and you you listen to the news and all the rest of it, boy, I'll tell you what, it gets tedious. It gets tiresome. Some of us have been well, we've heard working through this stuff for 35 years, 40 years. Yeah. Boy, it, it gets tiresome, but we got to hang in there to the end. Amen. Well, and speaking of hanging there to the end, we are at the end of the show. So just remember, folks, um, we do have some promises and we have some things we can and ought to be doing at this point. Thanks, guys. Thanks, folks. Shalom.